Acts in chapter number 5 tonight. Would you please turn there in Acts chapter 5. In fact, I believe tonight if this message goes according to plan and uh, intent that the message from the Word will coincide with the message that we've heard here tonight by song. And reason as why not to cease or to stop, even in the face of difficulty, and, and uh, some of that we bring on ourselves. And so let's read tonight in Acts chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse number 12. So Acts 5 and verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter, <laughs> isn't this amazing? <laughs> Who's Peter? Well, he's really just a fisherman, but God's used his life so that even the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some, uh, some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about into Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest rose up. And all that were, and and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord, by night, opened the prison doors. Talk about a jailbreak. And brought them forth, and said, "Go stand and speak in the temple." To the people, all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together. And all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. It's one problem, indicated in verse number 22. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told saying, The prison truly found we shut all with all safety, and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. They were guarding empty cells. Very well, I might add. They were guarding empty cells. Now verse 24. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow, then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and preaching, and teaching, rather, the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name. And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. 
and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They wouldn't even say the name of Jesus, would they? Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space, and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about four hundred, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this, rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and had beaten and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Notice verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. As you're seated, we'll get into the message tonight. It's easier to begin a project than to continue one. Would you agree with that? It's easy to begin school. It's another thing to finish school. Yep. There's <laughs> one testimony there. Thanks, James. It's easy to begin working out. It's another thing to continue working out. Begin running. Beginning of the year, you're zealous. But now it's February. (laughs) It's easy to begin uh, a job. It's another thing to keep working that job week after week, month after month, year after year. Sure is easy to begin a house project. Great zeal and enthusiasm and even money. And then not have all the way above. As you continue in that house project. At some point, 
you're going to be faced with reasons why you should stop. Reasons why you ought to just leave it alone. Why you ought to cease or end it or terminate it or come to a close or, or let it die down or, or just conclude. Or I believe a good way to say that would just be to leave it behind. Just get away from it. Could be several reasons. It may be that you get tired. Anybody in here get tired? Sure. There's little progress for all the work that you've done. There's little progress to show for it. As you look at the rest of the work that needs, needs to be done, then there's too much work. It's harder than you thought it was going to be, quite honestly, as you started running or whatever it was. And, and you start out on that uh, mile, and a quarter into it, you're feeling pretty good. But then after that, it's all uphill. It's harder than you thought. As you get into school, it's just harder than you thought. Or you get that job going, it's harder than you thought. You have kids, and it's harder than you thought. And... You get married and it's harder than you thought. And you start going to church and it's harder than you thought. <laughs> get the idea, right? Or you might get other interest. Something else occupies your attention. Or maybe it is you have a little money and thus you have to stop. Whatever it is. Or it might be that someone is literally trying to stop you from doing whatever it is that you're doing. At some point you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to evaluate if the reasons that you have to continue doing what you're doing are greater than the reasons that you have to stop. You're going to have to evaluate that. Are the reasons that I have to continue with this house project greater than the reasons that I have to stop? Are the reasons that I have to continue in school greater than the reasons that I have to drop out of school or stop? Are the reasons that I have to keep... Working out, are they greater than the reasons that I have to stop? Right now, as muscles are sore or I'm out of breath, I find great reason to stop. You know what I mean? It kind of goes along those lines. So you're going to have to evaluate this. The apostles were faced really with that same decision. They had reasons to stop as these, uh, the, the city leaders were trying to cause them to stop. But when, as they evaluated this matter they found that they actually had more reasons, and I would say not just in terms of a number of reasons and not just a quantity of reasons, but they also had a greater quality of reasons to continue than what they had to stop. And thus they made the decision to continue preaching and teaching Jesus Christ rather than ceasing and we are here tonight as a result of that. We are. So what were their reasons? We're going to look at that here tonight. Luke is writing, as we saw uh, back in chapter 1. We won't take time to turn there. But he's writing to a man named Theophilus. And he's writing to encourage him. He's writing to encourage him that what you believed is the right doctrine. It's the right truth. You've believed the right gospel. You know, as, you, as uh, we've mentioned before, I just want to reiterate here. You know, when you, when you buy a home, you, right after you sign all those documents, it might cross your mind as you just seemingly signed your life away. Did I do the right thing? Did I do the right thing? You know, when we bought our home here in Oklahoma City, we, for whatever reason, it just happened this way. We found the house and we found the vehicles that we felt like we needed to, to live here. So in one day, we bought the home and two vehicles all in one day. You talk about not sleeping well that night. 
That was a tough one. Did we do the right thing? Well, I think as time has gone along, it's, it's proven that we, we did. And I'm glad. I'm glad for that decision. It may be that after you said, I do, you wonder, what did I do? Okay. You get the picture. So as, as Luke wrote his first account, the Gospel of Luke, and it goes right in as though a, a second volume to his, his writing. He's, he's writing to convince Theophilus, look, you may have doubts, and evidently he was because he says, I'm writing to, to show you the certainty of the things that you have believed. That the Gospel, by way of its content and also by way of its power and its effectiveness, you believed right, don't question it, don't worry about it, don't doubt it, just keep believing it and keep preaching it. Yeah, that's what he's encouraging him to do. The disciples who once fled the possibility of persecution, by the end of this chapter, are now rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They fled when Jesus was arrested in the garden, and now they're arrested. They were a good distance away when Jesus was being beaten with that cat of nine tails. And, and now by the end of this story, they too are taking stripes on their chest and on their back. Something's changed in these men. These men have changed. It says here in our text that these men were together. They were united, these individuals, the church there. And, and it says in verse 12 that by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among them. And they were all one accord. And, and thus, as we, we've seen here thus far, that from chapter 1 into chapter 4 and 5, that there was great unity. Hey, listen, God's goal for the church is for it to be a unified church. Satan wants to divide the church, but, but the Lord wants to have unity within the church. Uh, God here has magnified his bride, has magnified the church. Satan wants to disgrace the church. God's plan is to multiply the church. Satan's plan is to diminish the church. But what we see here is that these believers, they were in one accord. They were, they were united. Just speaking with someone who coaches some uh, junior high basketball, and he gives them a, a, a lecture that uh, he read after a famous coach and, and such. He, he, this coach every year makes a speech to his young men that are on that college basketball team. He says this, you know, if I, if I punch you or hit you with my finger, I'm probably going to do more damage to me than I am to you. Right? If I hit you with, with my finger. Unless I poke you in the eye, but don't mess up the illustration. But if I punch you in the arm, I'm not going to hurt you with one finger. If I take five fingers and I punch you like that, who's going to have the more damage of that? It's not going to be that individual, though if I catch him just right, I could do some damage. But, but mainly if I hit something solid, it's going to hurt me more than it does that individual. But if these five come together... This doesn't look too threatening, but on other hands, when the, when, the, when the five come together, that can be called synergy, and it can also be called a knockout. Okay? These, these apostles, it was not just one of them. It was not just two of them. It was all of them. There was synergy there as they were working together, and thus they were having an impact in their society. 
But there were two out of line, Ananias and Sapphira. But they're stepping out of, out of unity with the church and, and operating by pretense. It, didn't, it did not hurt the church as much as it did them. And the church rolls on. That's what happens. Now, I'm sad for Ananias and Sapphira. I'm sad for anybody who, who, uh, who moves away from the faith. I'm sad for any of those circumstances. But, but wait a minute. We should not allow the disobedience of, of some to discourage us from doing what God has still called us to do. Whether individuals are faithful or not, the church needs to continue faithfully. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 5 as they, as this just happened in their life. They just lost two of their members and yes, they were sad and yes, there was fear associated with this. But here's what they allowed that to do. They allowed that to draw them closer to God and into further servants for God rather than saying, oh, let's back away from this. See, this is all falling apart. The reason I mention that is because in the course of church life, these things are going to take place in our life just like it did in theirs. But we should not allow these things to discourage us from serving God. Let's stay together and thus fight the good fight of faith together. There is strength in that and, of course, in God's work as well. So it says that they, there were signs and wonders that were worked among them. And we've already covered that, how that they were signs and, and that were authenticating the message. They did serve a purpose. They did heal uh, the people that were there. I, I find, we don't have time to deal with all this tonight because it, it's, not, it, it's not the essence of the message I hope to get across tonight. But, but I find a great deal of difference between what took place here and what's taking place on TV channels where quote-unquote, faith healers are seducing people. Because here, they brought sick people out into the streets. It's not like they prearranged these individuals. And they healed all of them, not just some of them, and, and, and give an excuse for themselves and say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. We find something distinctly different, which, by the way, the reason these signs were still operative is because we did not yet have the Word of God. And once we did have the Word of God, then and the apostles, of course, were no longer on the scene, there was no long, longer a need for the signs that were there. Just as if you're traveling into Oklahoma City and you see Oklahoma City, you're somewhere maybe 100 miles out. You say Oklahoma City, 100 miles. You keep driving, you see another sign, Oklahoma City, 50 miles. You start seeing even more signs as you get closer to Oklahoma City, 25 miles, 20 miles, 18 miles, 7 miles, 5 miles. But then once you get in Oklahoma City, those signs are gone. Those signs serve their purpose. But once that has come that you were looking for, then there's no more need for signs. The same is true regarding tongues and revelatory gifts and, and these signs that were there, these healings and such, they were signs of the apostles. And since we no longer have apostles in our midst, despite what some claim to be, an apostle, according to the New Testament, is one who saw the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected. And thus there are no longer them. And thus there are no longer signs. That, is, that does not limit God. I still believe we have a miracle-working God that can heal someone and can work in a person's life, no doubt in my mind. But some of these faith healers who are saying, here, buy my prayer cloth. I'll send you my handkerchief that will heal you. Phony baloney right there, my friend. Yep. Yep. Okay, that is not the message, but we preached it. 
All right. So now let's go on to the next part. So what happened is as these individuals were being healed, just like with the lame man who was healed and started rejoicing and twirling about there in the temple, it drew a crowd. Here's a whole bunch of people that were healed and rejoicing and no doubt leaping around and excited about what God did. That drew a crowd. It drew some people. Now, here's, here's one thing we, we saw in, uh, in one of the verses that were there, verse number 13, no man durst, uh, and the rest, and of the rest rather, durst no man join himself to them. Now, what that's saying there is that there were some, and the rest of it says how they magnified them. They honored who they were. They were, they appreciated who they were, but because of some of the circumstances, they held back they were slow from joining in and getting in on that. Probably because of some of the circumstances or the persecution that could have been on the horizon here because they knew what, what some of the Sadducees had said. So they dared not to get into it totally. You realize every week we have folks who may come and yet they may not dare to actually get involved just yet. But what should we do? We just keep going right on. Just keep going on and keep preaching Christ because more believers were added. Look, we don't preach the gospel just because we're guaranteed results. In fact, in many ways, we're not guaranteed results. Results belong to God. The message is our responsibility with his help to preach. And as the seed is sown, God brings people to salvation. So... Here is uh, these individuals that were drawn to them. But in addition to that, the Jewish authorities, the Sadducees, they caught wind of this again, and they were upset. Mainly because, as Sadducees, they were, um, they were in political positions under the Romans, but they had that status that they had to keep, that status quo. As long as everything was calm in the temple area, the Romans would allow them to worship as they please. But if someone comes on the scene and claims to be a king, or if a group of people come preaching that there is another king and he's not Caesar, that could trouble the Roman waters. That would trouble the Sadducees. And so the Sadducees had already warned these individuals. They had warned Peter and John saying, don't preach in his name anymore. Because when you preach in his name, you disrupt status quo. You could mess up our religion if you preach Jesus. Preaching Jesus has been known to disrupt some religions and religious peoples. Jesus has been known to go counter tradition. But these individuals, they couldn't stop preaching Jesus Christ unless they continued doing that. And, and so the Sadducees, they locked them up in the common jail. They put them up. This time, not just Peter and John, but also the apostles. All of them are locked up there. The 12 apostles are, are now in the county jail. It's a great place for preachers, huh? That's where they were. During the night... The angel of the Lord came. Ironically, just to throw this in here, ironically, Sadducees did not believe in angels. So God sent an angel that the Sadducees didn't believe in to unlock the door so that apostles could go free. It's fine irony in that. So the, uh, the angel of God covertly 
I, I have no idea exactly how this happened. Knocked out a guard and then another guard. Came in, opened the door, they go free. They wake back up thinking everything's fine. And, and so they are literally there guarding an empty tomb. I mean, I'm sorry, an empty... Well, that was the other guards. <laughs> they were there, sorry, guarding an empty jail. The next morning, the Sadducees convene their council and, and they say, send the, send the guards, send the officers to bring these men in. These officers come in and say, we're here to receive these preachers. We'll bring them out. And he goes down and he says, oh, oh no. <laughs> Comes back, no prisoners. All 12 of them are gone. The doors are locked. There's no way they could have got out, but they're gone. And they come in and they make the announcement to the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the day. Uh, sir, we're not sure exactly what happened, but the men are no longer there. So the whole Sanhedrin, the whole governing body there is concerned about where this is going to go. I'm sure they're thinking this is showing up on Facebook. I'm sure this is going to get out. Okay, that's modern terminology. But they're saying... We don't know where this is going to go. They're fearful what might come of this. About that time, another individual rushes in and says, Hey, I found them. (laughs) They're down there in the temple preaching again. They're doing the same thing that got them in trouble. So they went down to the temple, brought them in, and said, What part of not preaching in his name did you not understand? Basically. So now this group of fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and just common men, uneducated men, were standing before the most educated, the most powerful, the most influential, and no doubt even the most lucrative men in their society, in Jewish society. Peter speaks up in his Galilean speech and says, we ought to obey God than men. Would you look again? These verses are so precious, so important. Chapter uh, 5, verse 29 and following. We ought to obey God rather than men. Look what he says in verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince. That word prince is used four times in the Bible. It's used, of course, here twice in the book of Acts. We've already seen it in chapter 3. It's used here in chapter 5. It's used in Hebrews 12, how that Jesus is the captain of our salvation. It's used in, that's in chapter 2. It's used in Hebrews chapter 12, where it is, he is the author and finisher of our faith. The word author there means the founder, the originator, the leader of our faith, the pioneer of our faith, the one who went before indicating more about to come. He is the prince and savior, Peter says, For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. Peter basically in those few words 
is giving his assessment of the situation. Our reasons to obey God are greater than our reasons to obey you. Yes, you have a lot of education. Yes, you have a lot of power. Yes, you can even take our very lives. But we know the resurrected Christ. We know the one who's exalted on high at the right hand of God. We know the prince. We know the savior. We know the one who forgave us of our sins. We know the one who gave us the Holy Ghost. Therefore, we conclude, we have reason to obey him because he's higher than what you are. We have reason to obey him than we have reason to obey you. Well, the Bible says they that cut them to the heart. It, it literally, as I looked it up, it means this, it infuriated them. It cut them to the quick. You ever cut a nail or something to the quick and it hurts? That's what it means. It hurt them and it made them mad. You can't tell us that. And just as they were about to slay them, as the Bible says there, they were ready to do to them what they did to Jesus, to take their very lives, a man named Gamaliel stood up. Gamaliel was not a Sadducee, he was a Pharisee. He was a very well-respected Pharisee. He was a leading scholar of their day. He was either a grandson or a son of Hillel, one of the, one of the astute uh, scholars of their day, and, and one who is often quoted in their Jewish writings, this man Gamaliel. You might remember that it was at, at Gamaliel's feet that Paul studied. And so this is a significant stature of a man, a doctor of the laws it has here. And, and, and thus he was a great respected teacher, and he stood up in their midst. And he said this, you better be careful with these men. And what he's going to basically get across to them is this, don't worry about these men. Do you remember these two other renegades? And he mentions them by name and they would have associated and known their uprisings and the insurrection that was associated with them and how that they rose up in insurrection against Rome, but they and their followers were killed. This one, the uh, Thutis that was there, and then Judas, so Thutis and Judas, these two individuals, they came to naught. He rose up in power, got a big following, but it was squelched. And then this man rose up, and he got a great following, and yet it came uh, to nothing. It came to naught. These men and their founder and their following, it also will come to naught. You know what he's doing? He's treating Jesus just like any other man. He's saying he's no more significant than another insurrection leader. He's no more significant than, a, than another uh, rebel and uh, rebel rouser. And hey, he's no different than them. And listen, if you'll just let this thing go, it'll fizzle out just like anything else. But then he also threw this in. But if it is of God, then you're going to be found fighting against God. It's ironic that he said that because that's exactly what they were doing. But the people of Gamaliel's day so respected his position that they took heed to his counsel and said, okay, we'll just let this thing play out. You know, some people may look at you and, and say this, you know, you're, you're wasting your life. You're just serving, serving a, 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 another religious leader. That's how they would look at you. That's how they would look at me. They look at Jesus Christ no different than they do to Muhammad or Confucius or to any other world leader or religious leader. They look at him and them exactly the same. That's how they view it. 
And so to make their point, they beat these apostles. Forty stripes save one was the typical means of beating. And thus they would beat them across the chest or they would beat them across the back. Thirty-nine stripes. All the apostles were beaten. The Bible says something very interesting. They went out rejoicing, glad, joyful, delighted that they could be counted worthy. The word counted worthy is a passive verb, and it means this: somebody counted them worthy. Who would have been that counted them worthy to suffer shame for his name? I believe it would have been none other than God. Counted them worthy. To suffer shame, that means disrespect, dishonor, insult, to be treated shamefully. But you know, their Savior had said this, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, Jesus said. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is greater in heaven, is great in heaven, for in like manner did they did their fathers unto the prophets. Why were these men willing to suffer shame for his name? It's because they were already living for his name. Their lives were all about his name. They prayed in his name. They gathered in his name. They preached in in his name. They saw people healed by power of his name. They loved him and they loved his name. And when identifying with him brought them into conflict or into opposition or persecution, then it wasn't like they were rejoicing that they were beaten in itself. They were not looking for trouble. But when association with him and his name brought them into a place of trouble, they were rejoicing that they could even still identify with his name. And thus, verse number 42, daily in the temple, daily. See, they had a daily outreach. You know, our uh, soul winning efforts are not just on Tuesday night and Saturday mornings. This past Tuesday night, we had uh, the snow that came in. And so we called off our, our visitation efforts as a collected whole. But, but look, that's not our total visitation efforts. If it is, we're not really doing our job. It ought to be everywhere you go, daily. Daily they were in the temple, and daily they were in every house, and they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. In a day when some are not willing to sit through a church service, if it goes over an hour, are you willing to identify with his name? In a day when Christians are quitting church because somebody said something mean to them, Are you willing to identify with his name? In a day when Christians are given attention to petty issues of life, are you willing to suffer shame for his name? In a day when believers are walking out on the most important relationships of their life, are you willing to identify with him and continue? You see, I believe tonight what we find is this. The the apostles continued preaching and teaching the Lord Jesus Christ despite this increase in opposition for this reason. What they had in Christ and the reasons they had for continuing with Christ were greater than the reasons they had for stopping. 
What do you mean? Well, they looked at the situation and said, I know that this means punishment. I know that this may even mean death. But here's what we're looking at. We're not looking at the edge of the sword. We're not looking at the end of the whip. Here's what we're looking at. We're not looking to try to gain your favor as the leading men of this, of this society. We're not looking at that. We don't have anything to gain by denying our Savior. But here's what we do have to gain. Here's what we do know. Here's what we do have. He is resurrected. He is exalted on high. He is our prince. He is our Savior. He forgave us of our sins. He is coming again. He gave us the Holy Ghost. So the reasons that we have to continue in His name are greater than the reasons that you've presented to us today to stop preaching in His name. Therefore, we come to this conclusion. It's better for us to stay under His authority than to be under your authority. You know, as you continue on in, in serving the Lord Jesus Christ, things are most likely to become more difficult as you serve him. It's going to grow increasingly difficult. So let me ask you this tonight. Why should you continue witnessing to people that may even be antagonistic to the faith? Why should you continue witnessing to people who may even be uninterested in the gospel? Let me, let me tell you why. You serve a resurrected Savior. You serve a Savior who's exalted on high. He is the Prince. He is the Savior. He is coming again, and He's given us the Holy Ghost that's currently at work in our life. We have every reason in the world to continue rather than to stop witnessing in His name. Hmm. Are there going to be slow results? Sure. Skeptics, people who think you're wasting your time knocking doors, working a bus route, or whatever it may be. Will there be tiredness and distraction and it seems like the work is overwhelming? Most likely. But the reasons you have for continuing are greater than the reasons you have for stopping. Why should you stay in church? Because the reasons you have for staying in church are greater than the reasons you have for getting out of church. But somebody might say, well, wait a minute, I've got some pretty good reasons for getting out of church. Wait a minute, they're not greater in value and even in, co- in quantity than the reasons you have for staying in church. Why should you stay in the ministry? Why should you continue serving in the bus ministry? Why should you keep singing in the choir? Why should you continue working in that Sunday school class? Why should you continue greeting people? Why should you continue singing in praise to his name? I'm telling you why. Because he's the resurrected Savior who's exalted on high, who is your leader. He is your Savior. He saved you from sin. And he's given you the Holy Ghost of God that is at work in your life. You've got very good reason to continue serving and singing and preaching and teaching. The reasons we have to continue are greater than the reasons that we perceive to stop. Why should you continue in school? Well, you need an education, number one. But more than that, there are people who need to hear the gospel through your life. The reason you ought to stay in school, whether in college or in, in, in high school and other venues of life, if you're in elementary, you don't have a choice. But, but regardless, you ought to stay in school th- this evening because of this. He's your Savior. He's the Prince. He's resurrected. He's exalted. The Holy Ghost is working in you. You've got good reason to stay in school. Don't quit. Don't cease. Don't leave it behind. Don't walk away from it. It's worth you sticking with it. And you might look at 
at your life and say, why should I continue saying no to my flesh and, and no to the things that I want to do? I'll tell you why. He's the resurrected Savior. He's exalted on high. He's the Prince, the Savior of life. He forgave you of your sin. The Holy Ghost is at work in your life to help you to say no to sin so that you can continue saying yes to God. That's why you ought to continue. And the trials of life that come, the difficulties that come, why should you continue? I'll tell you why. Same reasons. Ditto. Okay, you're doing all right? That'll save time. Why should you continue in your marriage? Things are going to get tough in marriage. If you've been married longer than one day, maybe not even that long, things may get tough in a marriage. Why should you stay in a marriage? Because he's the resurrected Savior who's exalted on high, who is your prince, who is your Savior, who forgave you of your sin, who's at work in your heart by way of the Holy Ghost to cause you to be loving and submissive. You've got reason. Cease not. Cease not. This applies to witnessing, yes, most directly. Cease not. Passing out tracts. Continue passing out tracts. Cease not knocking doors. Continue knocking doors. Cease not pastoring. Cease not working in the mission field. Cease not witnessing to a co-worker. Cease not witnessing to that family member who doesn't seem like anything is getting through. Cease not. Why? Because he's exalted on high. He has power. He has authority. And your life works best under his authority. So just keep on. And don't stop in other areas of life as well. What applies to the world of witnessing about Jesus Christ also applies to the world of living for Jesus Christ. Cease not because of who he is. Don't worry about who the world is. Just get your eyes focused on the author, the prince, the leader, the savior, the forgiver of sin, the giver of the Holy Ghost. The high and lofty one who inhabiteth eternity. High and holy and reverend is his name. Just get focused on him and get back to preaching. Teaching. Staying in church. And loving your wife and loving your husband and loving your kids and loving your boss. With the grace of God. And being a good neighbor and being a good friend and being a good church member. Continue doing those things even when it gets tough. Not because of who you are and necessarily even the needs that are around you, but because he is most worthy of it and has sufficient for you. In fact, we could say it this way to coincide with that song. Daily sufficient grace. Daily in the temple and in every house. They ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. You know why I believe they did that? Because God patiently worked in their life to bring them to a place of submission and surrender so that he could tell them to do anything And they'd go and do it. It's going to get tougher for them. Because he's going to say, don't just go to Jews. Go to Gentiles. And they're going to say, uh, but God kept working in Peter's life. And in other people's lives. See, life, as we saw this morning, it's just going to work together here. 
Life is an authority issue. An authority issue. Under whose authority are you? If you're completely submissive to him, you'll speak to anybody he wants you to. You'll go anywhere he wants you to go and you'll do anything he wants you to do. If you see who he is. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the sufficiency of Christ. I believe these men and these women alike, they rejoiced in the resurrected, exalted prince who saved them and forgave them of their sin and gave them the Holy Ghost. I know, dear God, that we are removed by way of time and geography from this situation. And yet today, we serve the same Savior. I pray you'd help us each and every one, dear God, to be in love with him. May we see this exalted Savior, this crucified but resurrected Savior in a fresh and new way. God, help us to see that the reasons that we have to continue are greater than the reasons that we have to stop. So therefore, God, help us to continue running buses, to continue knocking doors, to continue preaching Bible messages and teaching, to continue in discipleship, to continue being friendly as a church, to continue trying to be a witness to this city as well as to the entire world. God, would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen.